we went into level four lockdown on the midnight of the 17th of august which was wednesday oh my mouse is freaking out wednesday tuesday something like that it's been uh, a little rough uh supermarkets are out of toilet paper again um and now everyone is stuck at home in new zealand um and it will probably go on for who knows at this point um, we might go into level three. Um, I think at the moment we're looking to review it on Monday or something like that. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Monday we're supposed to get an announcement. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, how, how have you been uh, working during these uh, tough, turbulent times, my friend? It's obviously with anything relating to coronavirus um, is not positive. But if we look towards kind of the silver lining, I think it's given a lot of opportunity to just take a take a breather from work. Um, personally, I know I have been a little bit um, overworked recently, um, not due to the company, just myself. I'm going to drive some objectives and working long hours in the office. So it was a breath of fresh air. Um, that is the silver lining. But hopefully um, this uh, Delta, Delta variant won't spread too much and we won't have too much of a big impact. I think we made the right call in lockdown um, pretty early. And I think we were pretty fortunate enough early on in the cycle to go into lockdown. So hopefully we won't see the peak um, jump too high. Um, so there is some good news in that. But other than that, yeah, um, I think it's given me the chance to just catch a breather from work. Cool. So a bit of, bit of positive in the, I suppose everyone else would say is very negative. Um, yeah. <laughs> Myself, I, I really enjoy lockdowns. Um, I guess you could say I'm a bit of a masochist. Um, I like spending a lot of time in uh, very closed spaces with poor substandard lighting and no natural sunlight. So um, all good for me. Um, I'm probably the healthiest that I've ever been other than being overweight. So that's great. Um, so moving on. Um, We'll talk about today the effects of activities in general, whether that be gaming and work or uh, COVID lockdown or anything that's kind of deviant from normal behavior, quote unquote, um, and the effects on our emotions and vice versa. Our emotions effect on day-to-day -day activities and gaming and work and stuff like that. Um, so I guess to start off with, um, I, I don't know so much about your history and ranked play in League of Legends or anything like that, Will, or, um, Counter-Strike or anything. It's, um, quite prevalent, especially in the League community to see someone just, uh, like completely lose their shit and just do completely bizarre and weird activities because they don't agree with something that you've done or think that they're going to lose or something and just go full tilt and throw their hands up in the air and say fuck you to everyone else. <laughs> yeah, in some areas I guess that is a form of stress relief, um, but I think tilt is a huge underappreciated uh, area um, and if you are looking to succeed it is definitely a portion that you should consider investing time in looking into studying and improving on because 
you'll notice that there are a lot of um, players in the world, especially in professional gaming, that take uh, the emotional side of games or tilt. Um, they'll consider it as a genre on its own, which is very, very valid and very true, and study that. And there's a lot to be learned from your mental game aspect or from the gaming point of view, and that can be kind of extended towards your personal life and also work life as well. So it is a very underappreciated topic, in, in my opinion. Do you think that the, I guess, magnitude or severity or whether someone is likely to tilt or not is dependent on maybe why they play the game in the first place or their values or what they think they're not getting out of the gameplay experience maybe or do you think it's something else yeah definitely i think i've never really thought about it in that way but i think you raise a really good point there i think how you view the game or what you want to get out of the game may also have a direct correlation on how much you tilt. I think, for example, mm. if you just play the game recreationally um, for fun um, and you don't really care if you win or lose too much and you're just there to have a good time, then I would imagine that subset of group of players would tilt much less than someone who is just trying to be as competitive as can be and climb the ladder in any kind of game format. Makes sense. And do you think that there's any particular games or experiences that lend themselves to be more or less prone to to tilt? Or, like, would you say that um, in, in your experience with poker, do you think that someone playing poker professionally would uh, suffer tilt to the same degree as a professional League of Legends player, for instance? I would equate them to be similar, um, but I would say for poker specifically, in the game of poker, there is a, a monetary factor involved in your action. Well, when we're talking about real money poker um, and not not um, play money poker, but in real money poker, it's even recreational players, so even players who would play for fun. Um, it's very hard to find anyone on the face of the earth who would not have any kind of emotional binding towards losing money or making money. So I would say poker is a really good example where most, if not all players playing poker with real money actually experience tilt to some varying degree. And tilt can go both ways. I think we've got an idea of tilt being negative, but there is also a aspect of emotional game or mental game where if you're winning a lot, for example, um, I don't know if this if it's the correct term. I believe there's a hot hot hand fallacy or a hot streak fallacy yep. where um, if if you win enough times in a row, then you feel like the odds of winning again is somehow higher, yes. even though yep. objectively speaking, it's not the case. So there is the opposite of that as well in the kind of positive direction. So I think poker exacerbates this this issue and is a really good, a good example of how how uh, important mental game is. Definitely. Um, I think poker is probably a very good example to use because, uh, as you've said, it, it lends itself very well to being one-to-one with some form of monetary exchange in, in some leagues. Or what, what do you call it in poker? Uh, uh, that would be considered a, a cash game where each of your yeah. chips... Uh, corresponds to a direct cash value, whereas if you're playing yeah. a tournament style, then you just have a buy-in, and then um, your your rank, depending on how it's basically 
last to finishes first. So you try and remain the longest, you know, be the last man standing, so to speak, and collect all the chips. Yeah, so obviously if, if you're playing for the first, the cash game or whatever it is, um, that's going to have a pretty much direct tie-in to some form of monetary value and you watch that that value go up and down as you win or lose. So um, money being very important to pretty much everyone on the face of the earth is is probably going to be one of the most determining factors in whether somebody gets upset or starts to snowball into a state of tilt or not. Yeah, definitely agree. And as humans, it's really hard to... It's only natural for humans when they when we get really emotional, um, we start to make decisions that, given a clear state of mind or no kind of emotional bias, uh, we wouldn't make. So it really skews our actions sometimes. And I guess the mental game component is about trying to keep that in check no matter how emotional we get uh, we still make the right call or make the right decisions and we don't let emotions kind of impair our judgments so to speak and i guess that ties in as well with the the function i suppose of um tilt being kind of like a snowball effect where if you're not uh, i guess critically reflecting on what states you're currently in you're probably going to end up slipping further and further into a, a state where it's it's going to be further against your most optimal lines of plays and you're going to be disrupted from being at your peak performance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, you've identified the first step in, in any kind of mental game self-help book, which would be identifying tilt and accepting it and just being honest and critical about when you are in that game, in that mind state. But that's the first first step is un- identifying and understanding it, and also accepting that you are in that state. Because without that acceptance, you're never going to get past that. So, without I guess compromising anything too untoward, or maybe talking about something in a a previous role or something like that. Um, can you think of a, a work-related example of the premise of tilt? Oh, that is a very interesting topic, I think. So to speak generally, I think it could be related to people who were disempowered um, in a particular job role who were getting a lot of uh, negative work stream related activity perhaps as an example if if you were like a uh, some form of uh, network engineer or security architect or something um, and you wanted to deploy like some form of bulk change but you weren't given a particular application or something like that or maybe your machine is so locked down that you can't install python or or something like that and you you're not able to automate a bulk change which thus means that you need to do it manually needing to do that 10 or 20 times you'd probably start to slip into a different side of reality after a while i imagine yeah um i could also give the very simple example of um in a contact center or specifically kind of customer care environment, if you just came off a call where it was a very kind of emotional um, escalation and maybe that was a difficult call for you, the the caller who called in, uh, maybe they were 
swearing at you, um, use words that they really shouldn't have and really got to you emotionally, then I can definitely see um, if that customer care agent wasn't um, that, uh, I guess, in tune with emotion or didn't really have that strong of a men mental game, if I, if I call it that, then the subsequent calls after that, they may not perform as they normally would at the beginning of their shift or even with a clear state of mind. So even very simple requests that come through on a normal day, they would act really, really happy, really positive, um, provide the best service that they can provide. Um, I can imagine that that person may provide suboptimal service or kind of be snappy back towards the customer if it could really affect their work stream um, just coming off of that. And that could be an example of tilt in the workplace. Uh, I can see that being a really good example of tilt actually and something that I've probably encountered before in my career. And I, I assume you might have to some degree as well. I'd say that's definitely a better example than the one I gave um, as it's more related to the sort of snowball effect of of tilt right and kind of throwing you out of your optimal frame of mind and putting you into a, a degraded state or suboptimal sort of um, level where you can't best perform your job role it's going back to kind of gaming it's it's very common in gaming right where you you may be performing suboptimally or maybe you're doing your best but there is some person or keyboard warrior on your team that's flaming <laughs> you for doing xyz and then you know you can have people who it doesn't really affect them some people just turn off their game chat but some people it really gets to them and that it changes how they play but the funny thing is i think in most cases the, the keyboard warriors actually have a drastic negative effect on all their team members where when they're trash talking it's interesting because i, I just want to get into the mindset of a keyboard warrior and really kind of understand how they what they think will happen when they start typing like that and really putting their teammates under the bus. Are they expecting a better result than if they hadn't typed anything? Are they expecting a person to go, oh, I didn't realize how garbage I was. Oh. Let me correct that now and suddenly become yeah. the best player in the world. Like, what, what is the expectation there? Why, why are they doing that? I think personally that part of it is the keyboard warrior themselves being affected by like a satellite function of tilt themselves. So like... Obviously, they're not impressed by your performance or they feel the need to communicate that or whatever, right? But I think that it's getting to them in such a way that they need to voice that because they don't have the maturity necessarily to kind of deal with that themselves. So they need to present that to the wider audience. Fair call. I think a lot of them are stuck in that first phase where they have not identified uh, or accepted it as being tilt. I guess in a lot of cases that I've seen, they simply go on for a long time. And even looking at interviews with uh, reformed kind of League of Legends players who used to be very toxic, um, they'll often state that um, looking back, they didn't realize the effect that their words had on other team members. So I guess it, they were kind of blind and that's, that's fair enough. I think it's very tough to be self-critical of yourselves in, in that situation. We could talk about the ways we kind of deal with tilt because we each have different methods and there is no right or wrong way to deal with tilt. It's all dependent on, on the situation and how you deal with stress yep. or I guess the expectations. But how do you personally deal with tilt, Bob? Or um, what are some examples that you have? So, Gaming-wise, um, I'll do one of two methods. 
one will be well basically depending on how invested i am in actually winning versus losing um and if i think it can be salvaged then i will probably just mute the player um and continue on or if there's if i find that there's too much of a risk for me becoming tilted myself from it um i'll just mute the player and move on um if However, there's potential to have fun by stirring up the person even more into a debilitating rage and having them inflict the most insufferable agony they possibly can on the world. Um, I will absolutely dive in there and roll them up. Usually, I I prefer to do the first, um, just because I feel like I'm a better person by doing that. No, fair enough. Um... From my work with mental game, this was a huge problem for me when I was playing poker. So I think my learnings from mental game and tilt specifically have actually reshaped the way I approach life in general and how I um, think things through. So it's reshaped my fundamental approach to life. Um, In poker specifically, one of the coaches that I had, um, one of my close mates, surprisingly helped me by saying saying something so i was in a spot where i was making when i did enter a a tilt um, phase for example in poker i would have done the right move but in poker there is always a variance aspect so in this case for example i win 90 percent of the time but there is one out of 10 times where i lose and i had for example three times in a row um, I was just on the one out of 10 chance three times in a row. And for me, that triggered a tilt aspect because I felt like I wasn't in full control. I'd made the right moves. I'd done everything correctly, but I yep. was getting, in my mind, punished at that time for for that. So that led me to make more mistakes downstream. It made me to be much more aggressive in my play, take more risks, much more risks than I needed to take. And it really affected my decision-making skills. So my friend said something to me that was kind of eye-opening that I still remember to this day. It's just pause, take a deep breath, look at the hand you played there, that specific example. Now channel your emotions at the moment and ask yourself how you would feel in a week's time, in a month's time, in a year's time, in three years' time, in five years' time. And it made me feel feel or made me realize that hey actually in a week's time i would have played ten thousands of more hands i would have been in this very similar spot at least 10 more times in a week's time and i would have forgotten all about it by a month's time i would have completely forgotten about it in a year's time that would be completely off the radar and it's so it's it's such a tiny little speck compared to everything else that it didn't make sense for me to have all this negative energy and for 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 it to impact my my the rest of my day and it was really eye opening for me um, to look at it in that way just zoom out a little bit and just see what it looks like in a week's time in a month's time and so forth and that really helped me kind of channel and kind of zone back down and really look at look at poker in a long term sense and you know statistically speaking that's fine. And as long as I made the right move, the outcome doesn't matter because I am confident in my fundamentals. I'm confident in my analysis. And the end result um, in the short term doesn't matter if I'm confident in in my study there. Um, So it helped me a lot understand. And that was one tiny aspect of it. But there's a lot of things like that um, where you can take it 
um, as a life example, if something bad happens to you, for example, if if someone at work um, throws you a negative comment, but if you really zoom out and you you think um, if that's kind of if you feel like that's ruined your day, just ask yourself how would you feel about that comment in a week's time, a month's time, a year's time, in three years time? Does it really matter to you? And the answer is probably no. In a month's time, you would have forgotten about it. In a year's time, there is no way that's going to get to you. So if you zoom out and look at it in that sense, then you can uh, you can kind of, I guess, handle that emotion a lot better. Or it helped me personally anyway. So that was kind of the ways that, one of the ways that I dealt with tilt or the negative emotion. Um, it, it sounds like it comes down to emotional processing time and like working through your emotions essentially um not unlike a grieving process or like just being self-critical of of what state you're in at the moment kind of thing and just taking it back and being neutral and thinking does this actually matter is this actually relevant like am i okay or am i distorting my interpretation of the events kind of thing um yeah absolutely Something you said kind of makes me want to segue this a little bit because um, what what you're saying about like events that do last longer, um, sort of stuff that you think about or um, maintaining emotional presence, I guess. Um, so you know how when you start like a, a RuneScape account, for instance, um, and you look at all the all the cool shit that's in the late game that you want to do, and then you like plan out your account a little bit to go to do this. I need to do this quest and level this skill to whatever, and you build this sort of pathway that you want to take to to train up your account before it gets to that point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So personally, I I really love that kind of meta game where you you sit there and you copy and paste links into the wiki until you get some answers and then you structure it into lists and shit like that. But um, specifically, I wanted to talk about the implications of having a hardcore Iron Man account. Like I, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but basically a hardcore Iron Man is you have one life, and if you die, you are no longer a hardcore Iron Man. You become a regular Iron Man account. Yep, so it's the ultimate hardcore mode of the game. You only have one life in an MMORPG. Yeah, exactly. Well, a, a kind of MMORPG. Let's be honest, it's pretty much a single-player game. It's just got a couple of <laughs> multiplayer elements. It's it's basically like Second Life top down with like a a little bit of health bars and whacking stuff to to kill them and get fat loots. So the the a hardcore Iron Man really if if you actually give a shit about the game mode, which you should if you're planning for a late game Iron Man, it's it really adds a couple of extra layers of depth and experience to the game, including a whole part around the... Basically like a grieving period, really, because you will die at some point. You will lose all that progress, and you need to be... Well, it doesn't matter if you are prepared or not. It will happen. Um, The only way to avoid it, obviously, is to not play. It gets to the point eventually, you get to a certain stage where you 
pretty much unanimously among late game hardcore iron men you have nightmares about losing your status like you will wake up in the middle of the night and you will think that your account has died it it gets that bad it's rough i would never make another one i don't think it's not worth it but to get that experience firsthand was was absolutely worth it the point where i did die um and thinking back on it and like really really being critical of everything i could have done to avoid that death i think that that relates quite a bit from the opposite side of what you've just mentioned of instead of like thinking about how you're gonna feel in like a month a week a day to instead have it flipped on you and been like so i've just lost everything and then that moment of realization and going oh shit and like playing back in your head what you could have done to avoid it like it's not the same as tilt obviously it's it's more of like a reaction based on grieving from an emotional investment into the game but i don't imagine it would be very distant from that to winning a all-in hand in cash poker yeah you you raise a really interesting point there i think there is for hardcore and i'm just um guessing here so when you're playing the hardcore mode, obviously activities such as going into a PvP area where you can die, um, such as the wilderness, if you're playing on your main account, for example, even if you did have uh, valuable assets that you'd lose on death in there, I would imagine that going into the wilderness on your hardcore is is very stressful and the emotional aspects of having an Iron Man might actually cloud your your judgment on, on some of your actions there. So I think that actually is a really good prime example of Tilt, but I, I think you're right. The, the example that you gave of hardcore of losing your hardcore Iron Man um, is a little bit different. Um, I think it's a long-term kind of Tilt factor that you mentioned there, something that actually impairs or has an emotional toll on you for longer periods of time. Um, I think the same kind of methods in in de-stressing or working on your mental game would definitely help in that scenario as well, but it's it's very two very different examples. Oh, yeah, it's, it's completely different. Um, where I was more going with this was more the, uh, I guess, the loss or the, the emotional investment and very closely linked to losing like a hand in our a cash game of poker right like you physically lost money money's pretty damn important if not the most important thing to pretty much everyone um so seeing that go is going to have a toll on a person um it's kind of interesting what you said actually about um how yes you do obviously as a hardcore iron man process events differently and choose to in general if you're going for a late game hardcore iron man you choose to alleviate high risk activities in favor of doing stuff that's a lot safer but lower reward um specifically in the example for wilderness and high risk pvp activities if if well, the the mentality is if you're going to do it, you should do it hard. I actually think that you would find that a hardcore Iron Man in the wilderness is going to be kitted out in all his best in slot gear, and is probably going to put up one hell of a fight. Yeah, um, I would definitely agree there. But if you look at kind of two scenarios, for example, where you look at a player who 
in his mind, um, doesn't want to die in any situation in RuneScape, but isn't a hardcore, and you put him into a hardcore setting and you both play out their, their kind of account growth, I would say that if they did enter the wilderness, the person on the hardcore account would be a lot more alert. Um, tilt would be much more of a factor there. And when I say tilt, I mean just that emotional thought of dying, that fear of dying would um, probably be suboptimal in some sense um, as compared to if you played on a non-hardcore, um, still with the mindset of, um, I, I kind of don't want to die. So if someone does attack me, I'll still put up a fight. Um, you might find that for, I guess, non, non-skilled non players, players not at the kind of high echelon, uh, they'll react a lot more differently. If they're on their hardcore, they might panic a lot more, whereas on their main, um, they might panic less. So that's just an assumption at this stage. But I, I can see that being, being kind of a thing, because I know I definitely panicked, um, even not playing hardcore, but just in wilderness. But um, there is a an emotional factor of entering into into the wilderness in RuneScape. Absolutely. It's for normal players, it is probably the most high adrenaline activity in the game. Um and for that reason I kind of don't want them to touch it, but they probably will. Um because there is nothing more exciting than taking a trip into the wilderness to do your shitty clue scroll that you're gonna get like a hundred K loot from. Um and then <laughs> the potential risk of dying and losing like a couple of mil if you're well kitted out or whatever. But yeah, that's no, you're you're right. It's it's not like a one to one thing. It's it's definitely um, a different type of example for a different type of reaction or emotional reaction from it. Um, as a hardcore, you do tend to get a little bit more stressed on certain activities that normal players probably wouldn't probably more so because in general with a hardcore you're trying to knock out a lot of riskier content early on when your account isn't really as trained as a normal account would be so you see a lot more scarier things happen what's what's kind of funny is i would kind of provide a similar um, analogy in poker so all things equal for example um, let's say your your bankroll in poker so the amount of money that you have in poker is is a thousand dollars if it was a thousand dollars you'd generally be playing something like a a ten dollar cash game or a twenty dollar cash game where your bankroll sufficiently supports large amounts of variance so at any point, um, it is rare to lose your entire stack, but if you did, it'd be $10, and your bankroll is 1000 So it, it goes up and down. But throw that person into a $1,000 game where their whole entire bankroll is on the line and can be lost in one single hand. Even if they're playing the exact same opponents who, you know, you assume your opponent's strategies don't differ here, and it's exactly the same. You'll notice things exactly like you said, where... Players stop playing the most optimal route because they start um, they start reducing their risk. So even yeah. if there is, you know, if the optimal route does have uh, some kind of implied risk, but it's it's winning a lot of money in the long run, people won't take that. They'll take the lower risk and at sometimes suboptimal losing play of just being very defensive. And I think that's kind of similar to playing on a hardcore compared to a, a normal. You'll just forego a lot of optimal lines because there is an inherent risk 
um, if you're playing on your main account, even with that risk, it would be so negligible in a lot of in a lot of cases. For example, yeah. you might not even want to go to dragons, even even though you have a dragon uh, anti dragon shield and you have enough food. You you just in your mind it's the mental block, and you go, nope, no dragons for me, never. You know, something like that. It it would be so suboptimal. You're just wasting so much time going around. But I can I can see that adding up. Yeah. Because in the end, for a hardcore, like the only thing that matters is whether you're still a hardcore or not. So any growth on the account at all, it, it literally does not matter, just so long as you do not lose the status. Yeah, fair call. Um, yeah. In my, my, my account on RuneScape, I don't think I've ever died to a dragon, and I've never been scared to, I guess, with the high HP, run across dragons with Protect from Magic or something on and just eat through it, but on a hardcore, I don't think I would risk that. But it's it's funny thinking about it like that. So so how did you die? Well, I, I know you told me, but it's been, a, it's been some time. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> uh, the TLDR is I died to a quest boss and I died because I was too greedy. So, are you familiar with the the vampire quest line, the, like the, the Myrak or whatever, and then you go in and you like kill the vampire bosses in the stronghold and? Oh, um, I don't think I've done that quest. That's the quest where the theater of blood is, right? Is that the one where you go through the yeah. agility course? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the rooftops and stuff like that. And you jump over them all, and yeah, it's that kind of crap. Yep, yep. So you haven't done that. No, I, I haven't done it, but I, I know of the quest and I've seen YouTube vids yep. of the quest as I was preparing to yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. So the the quest boss for that, uh, Rakan Drakan or whatever his name is, um, level 270-something, I think. Um, and he has three phases on the boss fight, I think. Um, and then the, the phase that I got too greedy on was the one where he shoots like lightning from the from the sky. So basically, to avoid it, you just step, like you step out of the way every couple of seconds, kind of thing. And I was walking under him, and I ran out of food, and he was on like fifty hit points or something garbage like that. And I decided to risk it, and I died. Oh no! And it it was an absolutely mortifying feeling, and I I was like in a state of disbelief, like what the fuck just happened. But I'm glad that I died on my own terms and not to like a disconnect. Um, if I died to a disconnect, I probably would have been like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> so yeah, it's it, it was crazy, man. Like the the weeks leading up to that, I would have worse and worse nightmares of waking up in the middle of the night thinking that I'd lost my hardcore status. It, oh, wow. it was actually crazy. Um, so in a way, I'm kind of glad that it's over. Um, yeah, the the emotional investment in that was just too much. Um, it was it was fun and it was really heavy, but Jesus Christ, I I could not do that again. Did you did you have that feeling after you died where you've got that stream of thoughts where what if what if I had done this why did I do that and all these why questions start oh, absolutely. Up? So like it was probably like my fourth or fifth attempt at the boss fight as well because I kept teleporting out because I didn't want to die. Um, and yeah, there was something different about this, this particular attempt where I was like, oh no, I'm definitely going to get it this time. Um, but alas, I'm, I'm no longer a hardcore on that account. 
but it was fun. Oh, that's a gutting experience, man. <laughs> oh, it was. Just thinking about all those agility levels and all that bullshit that I went through, it was really good, and the whole thing was pretty memorable. But yeah, it, it was absolutely the ultimate, like, see everything you've worked towards disappear moment, you know? So yeah, now back on my main, that's like level 83 construction, 95 magic, and 94 slayer or something and away from maxing, so not much left. I, I have a similar story. Um, it's it's in the poker sense, so this is, this is a little bit sad, but um, I was playing in the... So once a year um, at the Crown Casino in Melbourne, they host um, the Aussie Million Series. So that's earlier in the year, and it's once a year, and there's a bunch of tournaments and a whole lot of cash games going. So I'm generally a cash game player um, in saying that if the tournaments are considered soft enough where I feel like I have a valid edge on the player pool, um, in these types of scenarios where there's a huge tournament with multiple different players, a lot of the field are recreational players, and even the regulars or the, the quote, professionals, they're quite soft. So there's only there are very, very good players who attend these um, huge tournaments, but majority of people, there are definitely sufficient enough recreational players where I feel like I do have a slight edge um, on the game. So in this instance, um, the main event is uh, the entry fee for this tournament is around 10000 Australian yeah. dollars. Um, at the time, that was that's considered quite quite high compared to the bankroll that I have. And I was playing cash games. I was getting, I was winning a bit of money. I was playing um, pretty good, so I felt confident. And I decided to enter this uh, ten thousand dollar tournament. First day comes around. I'm playing um, eight hours um, or so with the breaks in between. Cool. I make it through to day two, and then I think in uh, within two hours of day two. Um, so bear in mind, after the eight hours, um, I, I go back to my hotel room, I sleep, I have a think about all things, or you know, recap on my strategy, go back out there, play, and then I get knocked out. Um, I'm way, so in poker, in a tournament, um, if there's something like a thousand players who enter, um, they'll, they'll post um, the, uh, the earnings, so maybe the top 100 get paid or something like that, or the top, top 150, depending on hmm. the format. Um, so I, I'd missed it by a long shot. So I, I ended up saying like 500, 600, but in my mind, as soon as I got knocked out, I was, as I was walking back to the hotel room, I was just thinking, shit, that is literally months of me playing hundreds of hours of cash game to get that money back. And I've just blown it all in one shot, all cause I was sitting there in the hotel room, um, during the during the day one and day two break, thinking, oh, it's going to be so good to win it. It's going to be so nice if I win the top oh, money. No. And that's the only thing that I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, so I just felt devastated. And, you know, walking back to the hotel room, I was just thinking, what if I did that? Or what, what happened? What, what if I just folded that hand? Or what if I didn't push all in? Or what if I wasn't so aggressive there? So I think for the, for the next few days, it really uh, impacted my cash game play where, I was playing a lot more conservative and I was like, oh, I don't want to take these aggressive routes. And then some, you know, the next day I'd be way too aggressive trying to trying to get back my money and then I'll tone it down the next day. And it took a few days to stabilize out, but I, I definitely had that sinking feeling when I got knocked out and then the realization of, of how much money that meant to me personally. Oh, yeah. 
just the yeah, uh, I can't even imagine. Um, <laughs> There's funny situations in in poker. It's an interesting game where some of the even the best poker players in the world they have ridiculous kind of tails. Where they one one player, for example, ran up a hundred dollars in online online play and ran it all the way up to a few million, and then he lost it all. And I'm sitting there like, geez, imagine the emo- emotional tilt that that guy would have gone through. And they lost a hundred bucks. So well, yes, oh yes, of course. Net result is minus hundred. <laughs> At least, yeah, yeah. That that's how you'd rationalize it after all of that, right? You'd be like, oh, I I just lost a hundred. Yeah, bucks. yeah. For me, I just rationalize it too. I didn't lose ten thousand dollars in the in the long run. I'm still winning. <laughs> the net result. Always think about the net result. I, I recently, I, I don't remember which episode it was, but I was talking about an experience I had with um, some dodgy shit that happened in professional magic, um, where basically uh, people are like, hey man, like a, a pre-negotiated drawing or determination of match outcome. Um, I'm guessing that you don't really see that in poker at all. Like, what do you mean by kind of predetermination? As in, people lose by they fix matches. Yeah, pretty much. So, like, if um, if someone needs a particular result so that they can get a certain outcome, so normally it will be for um, someone getting a invitation to the pro tour, which doesn't happen anymore because it doesn't exist. Um, so they essentially they need to win a certain number of games um, in order to qualify and get that invitation. So they will just straight up ask you at the start, hey, look, I'll give you half the winnings if you agree to draw. Ah, well, um, no, luckily there is a process in poker. Um, if you're in a tournament final table, for example, and it's a, it doesn't have to be large. So if you're in a thousand person tournament or even a hundred person tournament, you're top nine um, and everyone there. Um, kind of the prize pool has gotten so big or inflated that um, they feel they just want to divvy it up, then there is a process where they where they agree to, to split um, based on how many chips they have or based on some kind of agreement. So if there's kind of two people left, um, well, sorry, bad example, three people left, they'll divvy it up by proportionate prize pool remaining with the amount of um, chips they have in, in front of them or something like that. So we don't really have that kind of um, match, match fixing, um, so to speak. Huh, okay. So you don't just have like people go out on a smoke and be like, hey man, like I really need to win this, I'll give you a certain percentage of winnings or whatever. No, because I guess the the in I guess in magic, um, it's it's different. In poker it's it's all about money at the end of the day. The end result is money. The placing you get is money. Your your chips are worth money. So there's no real incentive for losing on purpose. Like if I was playing a cash game with you and I said, "Hey Rob, if you lose all your money to me, I'll split it 50-50. This, or I'll, I'll return your money back to you. Um, in that scenario, there's no real gain, so to speak, <laughs> right? Yeah, fair enough. There's no there's no real value of kind of winning um, or beating a specific player in poker. There's I'm sure there is to some tiny degree, but it's not as much as, as Magic or that format where you must win to go to a tournament or something like that. You could feed a whole shitload of chips into someone, I guess, but then, yeah. 
Funny you say that. Yes, there are cases, and that is considered cheating, where you deliberately lose. So in, let's say, really simple example, a 10-man tournament, you would have one person, or you'd have three of your friends enter and yourself into a 10-man tournament, and they would deliberately lose all their chips to you. That's that's really odd, because if all four of you were were good players, then yeah that's not a that's not the most optimal strategy because all four of you paid the prize pool an equal share to, to enter the event so you yeah it's not a good strategy it's some optimal strategy to do it but there have been cases like that and and that is considered cheating um so you can't do that no no yeah but it is suboptimal um to do that a tournament life is is worth way more than the than the chip value so kind of pulling all your chips into one person would be counterintuitive so the we have the opposite of tilt as well, right? Which most of the time it has a very similar name. Um, you could usually refer to it as a state of flow or getting so into the moment that essentially everything just really works well for you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A pretty agnostic as to what it can happen to because you can pretty much achieve it in anything. But um, Usually, like, programmers and stuff tend to enter into that kind of zen mode when they're knocking out a shitload of work and they can really get their rhythm down and they start producing a shitload of high-quality content, TM. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything similar to that in poker as well, or...? Yeah, there's, there's multiple different areas, for example. I guess this would be considered... The positive version but it does have a lot of negative side effects so that story which <laughs> i told you with that one guy who went from hundred dollars to million dollars the the way he did that yeah. was really simple so he he was he was a naturally gifted player um his his screen handle is um isildur one and he's famous on the internet for doing stuff like this so he'll just have he'll start off with a hundred dollars and play in a cash game he'll quickly get $200 and then he'll enter the $200 games and then he'll go from there and he'll play in the $500 games and then the $1,000 game and he'll just keep scaling up and it's that kind of momentum where I'm doing well so I'm just going to go into the, the next bracket, the next bracket and I'll completely ignore anything to do with proper bankroll management, proper money management, um, proper understanding of variance. I'm pretty sure he did have a really good understanding of variance but I don't think it mattered to him. He was just very aggressive. So he kept doing that. That's how he got to that kind of million-dollar mark, just because he had so many... He was so good at the game that he was able to take $100, make 200 and then 400 and then 800 and 1600 and so on and so on. And it was so crazy to watch. But then that comes at a, at a cost, right? You keep doing that, and eventually you'll lose. It's kind of like that strategy um, in roulette. Um, oh, do you know what that strategy is called where you lose and then you if you bet like a dollar then you lose and then you bet like two dollars plus one so three dollars if you lose that you bet like six dollars plus one which is seven dollars and you keep doing that until you win and then once you win you put down a dollar again there is i forget the name of that strategy hmm. but it's it's it seems foolproof uh, from from the sounds of it <laughs> but no it's not it's not all <laughs> Optimal gambling strategies require you to have an infinite supply of money. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. And it seems to somehow scale with some kind of power of two, which people don't seem to grasp <laughs> very well. <laughs> oh, man. Um, 
What about work? Do you get into flow much at work? Probably not these days, I imagine. I try to implore uh, or try to use, utilize as much as uh, as much of my learnings from mental game um, that I've learned from poker into work. And that basically means trying to remove as much emotional emotional impairment from the decisions I make at work. But that also works vice versa as well. It's very tough for me to get into a mode where I'm consistently um, in a positive tilt mode, if you can call it that. I don't know how I could really be in a positive tilt mode. It's not like I sit there um, configuring core devices or configuring customer devices and I go, yes, three in a row. Perfect. Jesus. No. Yeah, but at that point, it's like, why didn't I write a script to do this? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's hard for me to get into that. But yes, I do have Zen modes where it's not really positive tilt, but I sit there after, after my coffee, I sit down and then I just get cracking. And then by the time I look up, it's, oh, it's three o'clock. I, I have not gone for lunch. Yeah. I haven't done anything and I've just been zoned in and, <laughs> and I've done all my tasks for the day. Boom. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've, I've had a few moments. Well, pretty much every day ends up being like that, honestly. Um, get into work, make a coffee, sit down. Bam, it's like 11 o'clock. And I'm like, oh, shit. But yeah, in terms of actual proper flow moments, um, no, I haven't haven't had them in quite a long time. I don't think it's it's a little sad, um, but I think it was really good to have them when I was doing like a bunch of scripts or something, um, like the robots for Vodafone, or um, I don't think I've done anything kind of equivalent at my current job. But mostly, it tends to be more around that, I guess, creative stuff that you can get that sort of thing going um so if if you're like a an engineer or like a manager you're probably not going to be able to get into that state of mind quite so easily i imagine yeah i think the parts of mental game that i utilize quite a lot of um, at work is i take the approach of this may not necessarily be mental game but it's something that i've learned indirectly from it you don't sit there at work or life in general where you expect happiness to come to you. You must be able to find happiness from whichever small sources uh, of things in life. And you must be actively looking for it in order to really achieve happiness. If you're sitting there um, thinking and asking yourself, you know, why am I so unhappy? Why am I kind of sad or depressed? Flip it around and try and actively search for for happiness, and that's something that um, during really difficult times at work, I've I've explored quite quite extensively. So I, I might take a step back, and I might go, okay, what happened today? What are the highlights for me today? And really narrow it down. And even day to day, I'll take moments out of my work day where I've had a really shitty day, for example. But I'll be making the coffee in the morning, and then I'll sit down, and I'll have a look outside. The weather's nice, and I'll be sipping on my coffee and go, actually, this is a pretty pretty happy moment and i'll let this vibe kind of i'll channel this vibe and i'll i'll let it run with me throughout the day so i need to actively do that instead of being passive about it um, and that's something that i've kind of explored quite a lot and um indirectly off of mental game and i've utilized that in work to try and be as focused as i can try and be in happy as positive influence as i can it's to actively try and find those positive sources instead of being passive and sitting back
Absolutely. I I fully agree with that, actually, the, the whole taking action side of things. I think it's a huge thing at, at work as well for basically it, it is so easy to be in, not a content creator, but like an influencer in the, uh, the workplace. Like, I, I almost want to say like project, but it, it's not the right word, but to instill and to generate a, a vibe, for instance. Um, it's something that's hugely important to me and something that I'm really conscious of is to just do something which is probably pretty small and just like ask people I need to worry about or who are in my team, like ask them how they're doing or like how their day is, or just talk to them about some dumb shit that I really don't care about because it makes them feel happy. Or the, the other thing was to to do something that you might not agree with but or give a shit about but just really like make someone's day just so that they're happy yeah absolutely um i'm one of those people where you come into work on monday and i will i will have those five minute kind of chats with people you know how was your weekend and and i'll I'll talk and i'll try and be as best i can an active listener where um, I play back what, what they've kind of told me. So, for example, if they say they went to, um, you know, the in-laws over the weekend, then I'll be like, oh, that must suck. Or what was that like? What's the dynamic? I'll try to be, you know, active. <laughs> you know? Uh, yes. But yes. I, to be completely honest with you, um, I that's not really me. I, I don't find interest in, in kind of sharing my, my weekend stories with people, but I appreciate the importance of that in, in a work in a workplace and, and for building kind of that rapport and the effect it has on, on the human element of being an employee. So I try to do the best yeah. that I can, but it's not something innately that I I do or I enjoy. Um, if it was just up to me and if, if I was the only person in this world that I cared about, I'll just rock into work. And if someone asked me what I did in the weekend, I'd just say, um, I don't know, sleep. And then I'll probably walk away. But... <laughs> That's that's kind of me, but I, I need to actively kind of do um, do that to to provide a positive kind of or try to create a positive influence at work. Same, like um, I I do go out of my way, and then like if I ask someone how their weekend was, and they say, "Oh, you know, pretty average" or whatever, and then if they try to shut it down, and then I'm like, I tell them way too much about my weekend that was also very boring. Um, to try to get them to open up, you know, like just that kind of bullshit small talk that just makes people feel a little bit happier inside and starts their day off on a slightly better note. Yeah, and one thing that I've also kind of noticed is don't underestimate the importance of of laughter within a team, the ability to genuinely create yeah. moments of happiness and generally laugh about things you know if you're if you're able to make your colleagues laugh um in a genuine way that is really really powerful um especially during stressful times at work hard times you know people always stress it in customer facing jobs and you know if you're genuinely able to come out of that laughing then you're doing a damn good job yeah if only there was a way to make that an employable skill somehow <laughs> I've been, interestingly enough, um, as we're going and hiring people, it's something that I'm kind of looking out for. I realize that when you're hiring someone, there is a whole area of um, cultural fit, which is in some cases a lot more important than the simple ability of, is this person able to do the 
the tasks required in this job. Now, I'm pretty sure that that is the whole point of at least one of the interviews, right? Like, in, in my experience, there's normally like one or two sort of interviews, maybe three, depending on what sort of job it is. But I would say that at least one or two of them is purely working out cultural fit. Yep, it, it should be. Um, whether companies pay enough attention to that, I'm not sure. I think we're doing a much better job as a whole uh, now than we were, let's say, 20, 30 years ago on my parents' time. But there's always areas or rooms for room for improvement, obviously. <sighs> so you don't have any vacation book, do you? <laughs> no, um, I don't think I've taken any vacation since my time at um, at my company. It's been like just under two years. Wait, it's been has it been more than two? No, no, it's been like a year and a half. I started last year in March, so I guess one year and five months. I haven't taken much vacation. I think I took like one or two days off, mandatory, during like the Christmas period, but that's about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I'm kind of overdue for some uh, some travel when the borders open up. I'm not game enough to go back to Europe quite yet, but um, maybe somewhere in Asia or uh, even Australia at this point I would probably consider as okay. Just to to relieve some of that tension, you know, stop stop proactively prevent some of that tilt. So, which which areas in Asia were you thinking of to relieve said tension, Rob? <laughs> uh, oh my, I uh, yes, I think that might be enough for today. <laughs> um, well, yeah, like honestly, I I don't know, like I. Seeing India, seeing the business parts of India really opened my eyes to some experiences, you know. Um, my two weeks in Ahmedabad really, really broadened my uh, my worldviews. Visiting some third world countries in uh, Southeast Asia would probably be um, <laughs> the next step in that. Right. Maybe, maybe some, check out the Philippines or something or get some some work done in thailand or it's it's interesting um i've been fortunate enough when i was little to to have parents which thought really highly of of global travel and the importance of appreciating different cultures i didn't fully appreciate it and i probably still won't until i'm much older but for now what I've, <laughs> you know, but for now what i've appreciated is the way that i kind of approach it from a kind of game theory point of view or or kind of dissecting it is if you look at different types of cultures and different ways that people you know live and work and you obviously look at asia for example a lot of asian countries um, have huge densely back packed uh, populations living in really small areas and that drives yeah. a lot of kind of cultural aspects such as people are way more competitive um, the job market is yeah. way more fierce and there are just so many different things which are completely different but if you expose yourself to a lot of a lot, a lot of that and you observe a lot of different people coming from different backgrounds from the game theory point of view you realize that you've been living in this tiny segmented bubble and there are mm -hmm. many different games and many different game trees and paths and there are various different optimal strategies that you just didn't have your eyes open to so you can take little bits from different cultures to try and 
try and really optimize your approach to life and your approach to work. And that's something that I've kind of explored as well. I try to take the positives. I respect that there's a lot that I respect in kind of Japanese culture and um, Korean culture, you know, going from my Korean heritage that I try and take on board to, to my life. And I consider myself to be pretty Kiwi because I've lived here for basically all my life. But being exposed to various different kind of cultures, I try and take learn or at least try to take the best of of all those worlds and trying to incorporate that into to my life but i think travel definitely unlocks or is a starting point on in unlocking that kind of eye-opening journey so as the japanese you like uh two-hour train commutes and staying in the office for 10 hours a day or <laughs> there's kind of the japanese from what i've gathered what i've seen in japanese culture there is this whole thought process about what identity truly means and what mm. doing things for the greater good is uh, for example students in japan um, starting from when they're little at school they will take turns cleaning and they don't think of it as a chore um, just because it doesn't necessarily give them any benefit um, they understand the importance of the benefit as a whole to a community or to a school or to the country to a greater good that is so instilled in them from from when they were little and that's that shapes how they act and that's why they are you know really courteous they're really you know you go on the subway and no one is no one is talking they, they don't make a sound they they may be a bit overly too too in tune to that that's yeah but but in that regard, there's, I, I respect that quite a lot, the idea of doing things or appreciating for the greater good and not just being selfish in your actions um, and always thinking about the environment, thinking about your company, thinking about others in general, thinking about your your company, your friends, everything like that. There's something that you can really learn and appreciate from from being exposed to that culture. Um, I, I remember speaking to someone who I think taught english sort of thing i think they went over to teach it but i think it was in korea i can't remember which but anyway in wherever i can't remember if it's japan or korea there's this um pyramid sort of thing about values and in western culture it's basically like myself is at the top of the pyramid but in Asian culture or in whatever culture, like I think it was Japan, uh, Japan, it was like flipped up. So, and at the top you had like community instead of self so that your values were, instead of putting yourself first, you would put your community first, you put your country first kind of thing. Whereas in Western yeah. civilization, it's me first, then community, then country or whatever. And so the just the ways that we build the values and teach people to be people um, is just an entirely different perspective. And yeah, there's I there is a lot of stuff that I do like about the Japanese culture, but there's so much negative stuff there as well. From everyone's like a workaholic, everyone's like not closed up, but like reserved um they have some very weird opinions on very particular things like they're not very receptive to outsiders participating in their community based environments it's very difficult for 
people who aren't from the country to get properties to live in and stuff like that. But yeah, overall, I think, yeah, there's a lot of value in looking at their their positive impact as well. There will always be negatives um, and there will always be positives. And I would, I would challenge if there was a typical example of a person in Japan who carries a lot of those negatives, um, you'll notice if they do go for like a one or two year OE um, and they go to a Western country and they come back, you'll notice that they absorb a lot of the, what they think are changes or positives from, from Western culture. And they take that back to Japan. And I've seen this in kind of exchange students where they change over the course of a year or two years and you'll see them um, kind of stabilizing out. But yeah, there are positives and negatives, but I've, you know, just going back to the original point of when you expose yourself to various different cultures and realize that the the world is, is huge and you're just living in a tiny little bubble, then you can really adapt and absorb and learn quite a lot from different cultures, good or bad. Uh, Could be both. It's funny you mentioned that I literally just watched Endgame like two nights ago. Speaking of good and bad being perfectly balanced, you know. <laughs> Yes, you have the yin and you have the yang. There will always be... Such an average movie. Such an average movie, let me tell you. Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, oh, mate. (laughs) Highly recommend to watch, but such an average movie. I've been... um, I've been meaning to watch the the Avatar series, The the Last Airbender. Yes. And I have... I finally watched all of it after spending years just watching clips on it. So I'm pretty sure I had seen it with the amount of copious amount of clips that i've seen <laughs> yes. on youtube but you know i decided to watch it end to end and that was that was uh, that was a really good series yeah there's lots of um good stuff on it i haven't um watched heaps of it myself oh you haven't there was there's just to take a little excerpt which which goes really nicely with what we've what we've talked about in tilt um in the second series the legend of Korra, there is a a supposed bad guy who turns into an airbender and he just becomes so philosophical. He, to master the art of airbending, you must detach yourself from all earthly kind of positions and um, break free from the chain that, that hold you, bound you to earth. And that's like, oh shit, that's mental game. You need to, <laughs> you need to break free from, from all of those negative thoughts that, that connect you to, to money and poker or connect you to, the, the the actual end result, the plus and minuses at the end of the day, break free and focus on <laughs> the, the true strategy. Focus on the now. Yes, you must live in the now. Break free from, from the past. <laughs> Become enlightened. Um, I think they're redoing it or making it into... A, no, they already made it into a movie. No, no, they, they didn't. I'm just going to ignore that one. That doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, that's not That's not canon. We'll just ignore that there is a live-action movie. Not canon. Mm. It's it's like saying Dragon Ball has a live-action uh, movie. No, no, it does not. Let's not go there. I haven't seen that one either. Yeah. Is it bad? It doesn't exist. Just ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. All right, gotcha. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's been an hour now. We talked a lot about getting emotional in games today and how emotions and people's emotional experiences in the workplace are valuable and should be cherished. And we should go out of our way to 
do something out of character that is not innately part of us to make sure that other people are happy. You sound like you're reading that off a script. <laughs> but yes. Pause. Yes, I, I agree. Pause for applause. Oh. Yeah, and we also talked about a little bit about the state of flow or anti-tilt, I guess, but not so much on that. Um, so yeah, some some great content there, and um, it's it's always great to hear your um, your life experience and your world views and get to know a little bit more about how you see the world. I wonder if uh, we'd be a lot more productive the next time if we um, just crack open a few beers and then just let it just stream out. <laughs> you know what? That sounds like a good idea. We'll do that next time, eh? Yep, it'll be on par with the uh, with the lockdown drinking. Oh yes, perfect. Yep, where even non-alcoholics start drinking. I've not had a beer for thirty years. <laughs> All right, I am going to stop the recording now. Thank you very much, Will. Um, as always, it's been a pleasure. Ooh, thanks for having me. Any final thoughts to tie it up? No, uh, happy lockdown, and um, I, I expect this will probably be a few more weeks of lockdown at the minimum. I guess we can uh, use this opportunity to reflect on ourselves and improve our uh, mental game. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, a game all day, every day. Bring your A game. All right, thanks, Rob. All right, until next time.